0: Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzovino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your Word together. And as we do, we invite the Holy Ghost to be our teacher and guide to unveil to our hearts the deep, rich treasures of your holy written word. Father, may our ears indeed be anointed to hear, our hearts to receive and minds to be open to the knowledge of the truth that changes us from glory to glory as we are quickened by your word and also by your spirit. Father, I thank you for the unction of the Holy Ghost that I may proclaim with boldness the truth of your word that will make us and keep us free. Father, we expect great and mighty things in our lives as we submit ourselves to the authority of your word and also to the leading of your spirit. Now, for all this, we'll give praise, honor, glory, and blessing to you for your deserving of it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Tonight, I want to share with you on the subject of the habitation of God. The habitation of God, Revelation chapter one, verse five, says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. In the process of the new birth, we are cleansed from all sin by the precious blood of the Lamb. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but that just sets me free. But that's not the only thing that takes place. We are cleansed from all sin and we are given a brand new nature. We become a new species, a new being that never before existed. Now, I know you've heard this thousands of times, but let it sink into your ears, as Jesus said. Let it really become a vital thing to you. Start to begin understanding exactly what that means. A new being, a new species, a new creature, one that never before existed. Too often we think too little of who we are in Christ and what we have in Him. And what we've been made by His blood. But we are a new creature. Also, having this new nature, becoming a new creature, also makes us the righteousness of God in Christ. And that means before His standing we are right, holy, pure, without sin, without spot, without blemish. And it goes on to say that we're kings and priests unto our God. Also, when it comes to the new birth, we recognize that there is a union that takes place, a joining together that takes place between us and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is deity, the life of God, taking hold of the life of man, uniting them together as one. Think about it. He that is joined unto the Lord is not two spirits, but is one. Amen? That is a union that takes place. Well, this union gives place to transformation in our lives. When you got saved and that union took place, a transformation took place. Changes took place within you. All of a sudden you noticed your impulses changed. Your desires changed. Your attitudes began to change. I can't speak from your experience, but I can speak from mine. And what happened to me was I had a hunger for the Word of God. I had a hunger for the things of God. I had a desire to know God better. I wanted to know the person of Jesus Christ intimately. See, changes took place on the inside of me. As a newborn babe, I desired the sincere milk of the Word that I would grow thereby. All those things took place on the inside of me. Someone didn't have to tell me to love the Word. I had a love for the Word. No one had to tell me to love God and to seek His face. I wanted to. Just as a natural child will reach out to the mother or the father, likewise, we reach out to the living God to know Him better, to experience a greater measure of His presence within our lives. That's not the only thing that takes place. I want you to turn with me, if you would, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Another event occurs or takes place within us, and that is called, we become the temple of the living God. The temple of the living God. That is, you and I become the temple of the living God individually as well as Collectively. I want you to see that in the Scripture here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Know ye not that you are the temple of God? Notice, and, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Two things here. You are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. In other words, you are God's sanctuary. And the Spirit of God, the third person of deity... Has taken up residence in you. Verse 17 If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. You are the temple of God. Now listen, you are holy. In that work of the Spirit in the new birth, you became holy. I like that. You already are holy. And you are the temple of God. You are the sanctuary of God. You are the place that God wants to inhabit or indwell. Look at another verse that reinforces that same truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Therefore... For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, we have become the temple of God. The believer is holy, pure, sanctified, set apart for a specific use. And what is that use? Well, here is the culmination of all things. This is what God wanted to get to. He wanted to fulfill this purpose found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, if you would please. In the new birth, the life of the believer is made holy as he is cleansed from his sin. He becomes pure, a pure vessel, a holy sanctuary, a temple, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. For what purpose? Did God do this? Well, this is the purpose right here. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them. Now listen. And walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Almighty. See, the purpose for our being cleansed is for this great happening to take place. The reason for the transformation is for us to become the very dwelling place of God, God's place of habitation on earth. Now, beloved, that has to sink into our ears. That has to get deep on the inside of us. You know why? Because when we say that, our mind shuts down. We can't grasp that in our minds. That's just way beyond human comprehension. God cleansed us, made us vessels of holiness. Why? Why? because He wanted to move in and inhabit us. You see, there was a twofold presence of God. There is the omnipresence of God, which means God is everywhere at the same time. But there is also the manifest presence of God, and that means there is a specific place and a specific time in which God manifests Himself, a tangible presence of God residing in a specific locality. I have seen the presence of God. And I'm sure on occasions maybe you have seen the presence of God. I saw the presence of God standing at Fishers of Boys, standing right there on the property. I viewed it, looked right at it. The manifest presence of God. Of God, I've seen the presence of God in this place. But this is not talking about the presence of God manifested where you can see it out there somewhere in the fields or in this place. This is talking about God cleansing us so that we could become His dwelling place on earth and that same Shekinah glory, that same manifested presence of God that we have seen throughout the Bible and also that we have heard of others seeing in a manifested, tangible way, has actually entered into our being. See, the temple was built for a purpose, not to be empty, void of God. It was built so that God could inhabit it. It was built because God wanted a place to live on earth. Who can build a place for God? What materials can be used that could satisfy the living God, that he might live and dwell within that place, to be housed in that place. Well, the Bible says that man can't build a sufficient house or temple or sanctuary in which he can dwell. The Bible says God no longer dwells in temples made with men's hands. When Jesus said, I will remove this temple and rebuild it in three days, he was talking about the temple of your spirit the temple of my spirit. A work of God in purifying, cleansing and making us a vessel in which the living God in the third person of deity could actually move in and take up residency. The whole purpose of this place of habitation is so that the character, the holiness and the power of the living God would dwell within us and manifest through us. And beloved, I want to show you that in the Scriptures. Go on to John's Gospel, chapter 15. I want to show you that this is the end that Jesus spoke of in the Word of God regarding His followers or disciples that the work of God in the human life or heart would culminate in God Himself taking up residency and occupying space within the human heart that He has cleansed and made holy. Holiness, beloved, is never going to be achieved externally. Do's and don'ts. What you should and should not do, browbeating, condemning people, will never make them a holy people. But you teach them who they are and who they have residing within them. And you open up their eyes to the holiness of God that resides within them. Beloved, as they yield to that which is within, it will transform their lives without. I mean that and you will find a holy, sanctified, set-apart people in the process. In John's Gospel, chapter 15, and verse 3, this is what took place in the lives of God's, or Jesus' disciples. Look at verse 3. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. First of all, the process involved cleaning or cleansing. And as he spoke to them the Word of God. He washed them in the water of the Word. In John's Gospel, in chapter 20. And we can begin at verse 19. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said, so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. I believe personally it was at that point that the disciples were born again. For at this time they could not receive the fullness of the Spirit because He was not yet glorified. They could only receive the first work of the Spirit and that is the work of regeneration. He was already raised from the dead. He already applied His blood. He came back. He appeared. He showed Himself unto them. They could then believe on His death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and seating. As he did all that and, and, and obtained eternal redemption for them, and now they qualified to become born again. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Ghost in the new birth. They were born again at that time, and they became vessels or temples in which deity could actually inhabit. So at this place and in this point, we find them born again, made holy, made pure, and acceptable. In the sight of God. But that was not enough. Look at Acts chapter 1, if you would please, with me. In Acts chapter 1, they were instructed of the Lord, being told that there was another day in which another promise of God was going to be fulfilled in their lives. God did not want that temple to remain as it was just purified, cleansed, and holy there was something more that he wanted to add to that temple, to that sanctuary, to that abiding place. And what was that? Beloved, I believe that this event in the lives of God's people has been minimized. And I believe that because the focal point of this occurrence has been tongues that we have taken away from the greater part of the experience. The experience here emphasized is not tongues, is not spiritual gifts or outward experiences or manifestations in God. The greater part of this experience took place within the lives of these people. And I believe the devil has made tongues the focal point. We hear people all the time that are out there in the denominational world saying what? I don't need that tongues. I have that tongue's up the devil, oh that tongue's this and tongues that. When you talk about being filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, you're that person that speaks with other tongues, like those Pentecostal people and all that and charismatics. Ah, who needs tongues? I love God. It's not tongues that you need. See, it's not tongues that's being emphasized here. Jesus did not say that I'm going to go and send you tongues. Did he? No, he said, "'It's expedient for you that I go.'" Why? "'So that the Holy Ghost could be sent unto you.'" That's why. And so now they're pure, and now they're holy. They're a vessel, a temple, waiting for what? Another event to take place, another experience in God to take place in their lives.'" And this is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the baptism of God. Some great event was going to take place after the great event of their new birth. And what was that great event? God, the Father, and God, the Son, in the person of the Holy Ghost, was going to manifest Himself, His presence within the temple that was cleansed. It was like on the day they they dedicated Solomon's temple and the glory came in and the cloud came in and the presence of the living God who wanted to dwell on the earth with men came in and filled that place and it was so profoundly manifested that they couldn't even stand a minister for by reason of the cloud. Well that Shekinah glory, that presence of the almighty all living, I'm the present God was going to manifest itself within the human dwelling place. Oh beloved, stay with me because I know the mind just starts to shut down when we talk about this. We're too carnal minded. We're too flesh-minded. We're too natural-minded. Beloved, the living God, the third person of deity. You think Jesus left and He came to this earth and became a man? We know that He did. But when He went back, He said, I'm not going to leave you without help, without comfort, on your own, by yourself. He said, I am going to send to you the Holy Ghost, the third person of deity. Are you ready for this? Deity was moving out of the heavenly sphere to enter into you. what the word says amen we could stop right there and have a picnic shout for a while but the thing is we've got to get a hold of the reality of this we've got to be mindful of what's being said here in this experience the inward experience is greater than the outward display of tongues so, those people that say, oh, I don't need to be filled with like the Holy Ghost and speak of tongues like those Pentecostal people, what they're saying is, I don't need the presence of God in me. I don't need the third person of the deity to come and manifest himself in me in a tangible way. It's like walking around with a cleansed temple that's empty. Whoa. Verse verse 4, Acts 1, 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. I told you about this, he is saying. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. See, the emphasis is not power. The emphasis is the Holy Ghost. The promise is not power, but the promise is the Holy Ghost. The promise was the person of God, the presence of God, which gives place to power, which is displayed or demonstrated in tongues in spiritual gifts and manifestations. But the emphasis and the greater importance, beloved, is on the entrance of the living God into your inner being in the person of the Holy Ghost. For look at Acts 2, 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, there suddenly came a sound from where? Where did the Holy Ghost come from? Where did He come from? He wasn't in the earth yet, was He? In full measure, was He? It was not His dispensation before. We saw him manifest only in the lives of the prophet, priest, and the king in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But now it's his dispensation. He is coming from heaven. Why? Because temples have been provided for his indwelling presence. A place has been built for him to inhabit. It was not built by Moses It was not built by Solomon. It was not built by David. It was built by the Lord Jesus Christ and His shed blood. It is not the temple made with men's hands. It is the temple of your spirit, recreated by the very life of God itself. A union took place with you and God when you got born again. And now the Holy Ghost can indwell you. I should say now the presence of God can manifest in you. And I'll show you some other verses. But this sound came from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. It didn't stop there. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire and sat upon each of them. didn't stop there. And they were all filled with the third person of deity. You've got your running shoes on. You've got your shouting clothes on. You see, beloved, in the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they don't just receive tongues. They don't just receive power. They receive the third person of deity. He enters in. And there is the manifest presence of the living God actually dwelling in and inhabiting the human life. Wow. Hard to fathom, but true. Deity making its dwelling place within the human heart. Well, can you show further proof? Well, look at John's Gospel chapter 14 because he said you heard of it from me so apparently there has to be a place that Jesus spoke of it, correct? In John fourteen twenty-three, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words and my Father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode. That word abode in the Greek is dwelling and make our dwelling with Him. Let's not stop there. But that'd be good enough, wouldn't it? Look at John 14, 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you, and shall be... In you. In you. You know when God moves in, He brings His character? You know when God moves in, He brings His personality? He brings His power? He brings his, his holiness? You talk about joy. You talk about love. You talk about peace. God moved in. You better have some joy. You better have some love. You better have some peace. Jesus didn't say, I borrowed some peace from somebody and gave it to you. He said, my peace I give unto you. It's the love of God that's shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost who moved in. Right? My joy that it might remain in you. Are you seeing this? Let's forget about the external manifestations for a moment. And let's Focus on the inward manifestations of God. You know, we should be absolutely bubbling over with joy every day of our lives. But you don't understand the problems that I have. Problems are external. God is internal. God is on the inside. The Bible said, praise ye the Lord. Praise Him. Your joy is in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We don't have external strength to overcome the problems that we face in life. But we've got it on the inside. We've got it on the inside. We've got the love of God. We've got the joy of God. We've got the peace of God. We've got the stability of God. We have got the fortitude of God. We've got the strength of God, the might of God, the holiness of God. We've got the Godhead, hallelujah, on the inside of us. And greater is He who is in us than he that is in the world. Can you see this? Praise God. We've got to be so mindful of this, saints. So He's dwelling with us and shall be in us. And I want to show you what He does when He moves in. God is just so good. Look at John chapter 17. Jesus gave us, once again it came from Jesus, a revelation of what what takes place when He moves in. When God moves in, He doesn't bring brass. He doesn't bring wood hay, or stubble. He doesn't bring a list of do's and don'ts. He just brings His holiness. And if you ever let that loose, you won't do and don't. Look at John seventeen twenty. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in them that they also may be one. Now listen, everybody wants unity. There's power in unity. Everybody wants to have a great move of the supernatural in their lives, and there's power in unity to have that. Everybody wants to have their church on fire for God. There's power in unity to have that. Everyone wants their family on fire for God. There's power in unity to have that. But how do you achieve unity? Oneness. I know, make a list of do's and don'ts and just put it out there so everybody can obey all the do's and don'ts. No. No. God had another method. And here it is. I want them to be one as we are one. How? That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me and the glory which thou gavest me given them that they may be one. Did you hear that? How are we going to be one when we acknowledge the glory that's on the inside of us? God ushered His presence and His glory into our lives to make us one. I'm going to tell you something. Holy Ghost, Spirit-filled Holy Ghost believers, tongue-talking believers, they should be one. We've got the tools. We've got the equipment, beloved. I mean that. That's how God makes us one. He ushers his glory into our lives. That they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name. And will declare it, that they, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. God is saying the way we become one is by His presence in our lives. He moves in, and He brings His presence He brings His love. He brings His joy. He brings His peace. He brings His patience. He brings His long-suffering. He brings His goodness. He brings His kindness. He brings His meekness. He brings every part of His being, life, nature, holiness, and character into us and indwells us or inhabits us the acknowledging of that makes us one. We are one in the Spirit because of the presence of God that indwells us. Now, beloved, for us to really kind of focus in on this, I want you to look at another verse of Scripture in the book of Exodus because we being in the flesh can identify mostly with natural things better than we can with supernatural things. Now, in this, passage we have an idea of what actually takes place in us when the Shekinah glory of God moves in look at uh, Exodus 34 beginning at verse 29 and it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai that with the two tables of testimony in Moses hand when he came down from the mount that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. So you can see, if you were there, you could see his face shine. It was actually a glow. There was such a glow about him. The glory of God was so shining from his face that the people could not look. Have you ever looked upon his face? Have you ever walked out, looked up, and seeing the sun up there, turned your eyes away because you couldn't stand looking at the sun for the glory of it, the brightness of it, and its effect upon your eyes? That's how Moses' face looked. They could not stand to look at his face, and he didn't know that. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the elders or rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. He had a cover his face because of the glow, because of the glory of God that shone from his face. It was blinding. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. So here we have an outward manifestation of the glory of God and its effect upon the face or the skin of a human being who has been allowed to enter into the presence of the living God. We see it shining, we see it glowing in such a manner that they could not look upon His face and they had to cover His face. Well, what's that have to do with us? that same glory, that same glow, that same shining, beloved, is in you. It's in me. But because we don't see it, very often we don't give place to it. We don't allow it to flow out from us. You know, God wants that to shine out from us as shafts of light through our eyes and fingertips. Do you realize that? I mean that. That's what it means to be aglow with the Spirit. A glow about you. But I want to show that to you in Scripture. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you would, please. To show you that we have that presence of God, life of God, nature of God. I know we're apprehensive to say deity of God, but facts are facts. You have the life of God. Is that better to say? You have the nature of God. Is that better to say? The way I see it in Scripture, deity packed their bags and moved in with you. How do you see it? The life of God is the life of God. Amen? It's indwelling you right now. You think about that for a while, you'll act right. God will get bigger. I'll talk about that probably on Sunday. God will get bigger in you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I want to show, show it to you. Verse 13. Well, maybe we need to back up. Verse 7. But if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses, for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. You don't have just what Moses had in you. You have that which exceeds the glory that shone from the face of Moses in you. Wow. For even that which was made glorious had no glory. Listen to this. What we have is so much more glorious that what Moses had was no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. The glory we have reduces the glory of Moses to nothing. Wow. Verse 13. And not as Moses which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds are blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, shall be, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and with the Spirit of the Lord there is liberty. But we are with open face, not veiled face, but open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You realize that is saying the Spirit of God inhabits us and dwells us to change us from glory to glory, from one phase of glory to another until the the brightness of the glory of God excels in us. The brightness that was in Moses, it exceeds that glory if we only what? Behold it, look into it, acknowledge it, confess it and allow it to have its influence over our lives. And that takes me to my next point. Look at Romans chapter 8 if you would please. You see, we have this glory in an earthen vessel. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says that. You have that glory, but it's in an earthen vessel right now. And that earthen vessel that it's in is your vessel that's been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And that glory is to to find its way into our thought patterns, find its way into the very cells of our bodies. I want you to see this. It is to make its way from the spirit of man through his soul as his mind is renewed to its presence. And then it's to affect the body of man until every cell and vital organ of the body is actually flooded with the life of God. And then it is to flow out from us in shafts of light to do the work of God on the earth as Jesus did. Brother, that's rich. And that's God's intent and purpose. But look at this. In the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, the believer has a choice. The believer has a choice. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is an active force of disobedience and rebellion unto God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell where? In you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Let's stop right there just for a moment. The believer has a choice to live either after the flesh or after the Spirit. If He chooses to live after the Spirit, then He activates the powers of the higher life. There is a higher life and there is a lower life. If He yields to the flesh, He activates the powers of the lower life. If He yields to the Spirit, He activates the powers of the higher life. If He yields to the flesh, He takes Himself further from the process that changes Him from glory to glory. If he yields to the Spirit, he then yields himself to the process of God that changes him from glory to glory and allows that glory to flow where? Into his mind. Notice it says, to be mindful of the flesh is enmity, but to be mindful of the things of the Spirit is to walk in that which pleases God. So we are to mind the things of the Spirit. And then the glory of God, the light of God, will then begin to flood the mind of the believer. It will make its, its way from the spirit of man into the soul of man and deliver man from his corrupt reasoning faculties. It will enlighten his mind. It will give the light of God into his mind, the wisdom of God into his mind. And it won't stop there. It will still continue to flow. To where? Verse 11. Glory. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, animate, make alive, vitalize your mortal bodies by His Spirit indwelling you to mind the things of the Spirit, to mind the presence of God to mind the glory of God, to mind the life of God on the inside of you is to give place to the working of that glory and presence and power into your soul which will make its way into your mortal body and animate it. Make it alive. Give it life and vitality, strength, health, and healing is what that's talking about. Therefore, brethren, we are in debt. Debtors, Not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. We have a choice. And the more we mind the flesh, the further we we get away from the process of change. The more we mind the Spirit, the closer we get to being transformed by the glory of God. Now, knowing this, the devil has planned a target of attack. And you know what that target is? Your body. Your senses. Your flesh. He, understanding this, does not want you to walk in harmony with the life of God that is in you. So what does He do? Puts pressure on the flesh. Why? To get you to yield to the flesh. Why? To get you further from the process of change. Are you seeing this? That's exactly how he wants it to be. He does not want you to live in an environment in which God lives. He does not want the supernatural manifestation of God's presence and power manifested through your life. He does not want the works of Jesus to continue through you, so he wants to minimize the effectiveness of the glory of God in you. How? By putting pressure on you to yield to your flesh, to think small, to think in line with the lower life. Here I am, just a worm in the dust. Boy, he has told that so often people actually think it a weak, beggarly person upon the earth just waiting for a morsel to fall from heaven that God might bless me. Hogwash and baloney. You are a regenerated child of the King, washed in the blood, holy temple of the living God, and the third person of deity has entered into your being. He has lifted you to higher places in Him. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You house the very glory of the living God and God's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, And all these things live in you. That's minding the things of the Spirit. You see, beloved, he wants you to give place to the higher life, not uh, to the lower life, not to the higher life. That's the devil's work. He knows where there's confusion, there's every evil work. And so he'll try to get you confused, to, to tell you like, oh, that guy's preaching a bunch of junk. He's trying to tell you all this stuff about who you are and what you have and how big God is, and man, that's ridiculous. You're just a sinner saved by grace, and if you barely get by for today, thank God for tomorrow. He doesn't want you to think like this. Can you see this? Now, every person should. I won't say necessarily does, but every person should desire to live in an environment of love in their home. I mean, every person should want to have a family of harmony and unity and peace, right? And, you know, when that takes place, it's like a taste of heaven on earth, isn't it? I mean, the husband is the king. The wife is the queen. The children are the prince and the princesses of life. And, man, they love each other, care for each other, respect each other. The children are respectful and loving and kind, and they don't do anything wrong. They walk in harmony with mom and dad throughout the course of a day do exactly what they want. You know, the parents want them to do. There's harmony there, right? In every household that's a Christian household in America functions that way, correct? And the children never rebel and never say anything wrong or do anything wrong. Isn't that right? Isn't that how it is? No, it's not, is it? You know why it's not? Are you ready? The family is Satan's target of attack. Are you listening? The devil doesn't want you walking in harmony with each other because it gives place to the supernatural working of God's power. It gives place to miracles, signs, wonders, and demonstrations of the greatness of God in your lives. So what does he do? Brings disharmony, brings division, a little bit of rebellion here. See, his strategy is to attack the family with confusion and strife because if he brings in confusion, there's every evil work there. Can you see this? Because why? They're not walking in harmony with each other. They're not giving place to love. And as a result, by yielding to the wrong spirit, by yielding to the pressure of the flesh, there's disharmony, there's discord, and God's power is minimized within that household. Well, beloved, the same thing is true within your own makeup and mine. Satan will try to do anything he can to make you unhappy with yourself. He'll use every flaw in your flesh to make you unhappy with yourself. He'll magnify every shortcoming in your life to make you in disharmony with the power of God that's in you. He'll bring every thought across your mind that feeds your doubts to disassociate you from the glory and presence of God that abides within you. His strategy is to use your carnal shortcomings against you so that you're in disharmony with the God who is in you. That's his strategy, to get you confused. Can you see this? And if you fall for it hook, line, and sinker, the glory of God in you will be minimized. If you keep siding with the devil, you are not walking in harmony with, listen carefully, the revelation of the new birth and the revelation of the baptism of the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. You're not walking in harmony with the presence of the living God on the inside of you in your inward part. And that's exactly what the devil wants. To make you say in agreement with him, yeah, that's for others, but you know, I just can't do that because I'm just not holy enough. If so I was just a little bit holier. Boy, I think I can get that job done, but I'm not holy enough. I'm not a brother so-and-so or a sister so-and-so. I was like, them, boy, I know I'd just be on fire for God. No, no. All that you need is in you now if you're born again and Spirit-filled right now. But you have got to walk in harmony with that. And so do I. You are the habitation of the living God. And the emphasis of the Spirit baptism is not tongues and it's not gifts. I cannot say this enough. I cannot emphasize this enough. It is the presence of God coming from heaven sitting upon you and then entering into your innermost being, God Himself, the glory of His presence manifesting in you, wanting to have freedom and liberty to take over every place in your heart. And if we begin walking in harmony with that, saints, there will be shafts of light coming out of your eyeballs. There'll be shafts of light flowing out of your fingertips. There will be the power of the living God that heals bodies and casts out devils flowing through your words and out of your hands. This is the work of God that God wants accomplished and achieved in all of our lives. I'm going to give you one closing verse, if I may. I have it nowhere written except but on the table of my heart. That's found in the book of Galatians in chapter 4. You know, it's always been my desire to be a living epistle of the living God known and read of all men. Verse 19 says, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Did you see what Paul wanted for these people? Christ formed in them. Don't be conformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind until Christ be formed in you. This is what His desire is for all those people. It's what the Father's desire is for every single one of us. And, beloved, what we need to do for ourselves is to pray exactly like Paul did. Father, it's my desire to walk in harmony with your power or your presence your power your life your holiness whatever it is you have brought inside me it's my desire to be changed into that mold till Christ be formed in me until you've reproduced the life of Christ in me is basically what he is saying here until Christ, the life of Christ is reproduced in you you think you have a problem with love if his life is reproduced in you joy peace Patience. What about power? What about healing flowing through you? Wh- whatever. Faith, if the life of Christ is what? Reproduced in you. Hallelujah. That should be our prayer. Can you imagine if every child of God was committed to that? You wouldn't want to leave the house without the glow of God's Spirit. Do you see that? Do you know that man lost his glory in the beginning? But do you know that that glory has been reinstated in his spirit in the new birth and baptism of the Holy Ghost? And one day it'll be on the outside too when the body is glorified. And he is saying right now you can have it flow through you in such a way that it can touch the hearts and lives of people that you contact in this life as they see it flow through your, like I said, your eyes, shafts of light coming out of your being as you're changed from glory to glory into the very image of the living God. Let's all stand together before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our Legacy Teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life.